0: Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Ashley. We're joined again by our friend Grant. Hi, Grant. Hi, guys. You can find him on X or Twitter or whatever it's called uh, uh, at Hot Dog Cinema. Uh, he's joining us uh, for uh, this month's Criterion episode, which also is subbing as a Film Noir episode. I recently learned that November by Film f- Fans is called Noivember November uh, for that old... Um, for that old uh, film style uh, genre i guess and um so yeah and criterion you know we've done several criterion episodes it's a it's a it's a r- r- label that puts out um movies that're supposed to be of of some kind of quality uh so this movie the killing from 1956 is uh has been put out by criterion it's also uh, what i would call a later film noir Um, and we can talk uh, during the episode about what constitutes film law. Um, But uh, right now, I will hand it over to Grant. So, Grant, um, can you tell folks listening um, who might not be familiar with The Killing, what is it about?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, Okay, so The Killing, 1956, uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It's one of Stanley Kubrick's first movies. Uh, It's a classic caper feel. It's about a a group of uh, robbers Um, who plan meticulously uh, the robbery um, of a racetrack on a big race day. And one of the robbers uh, has a wife who is unfaithful to him, and he happens to let her know of of this plan. And then she conspires with her lover to steal the money off these robbers after they have um, completed their, their heist. Uh, and so the film is really about how the best laid plans um, <laughs> can often end up going awry. And uh, the film stars uh, a number of famous character actors. Really, there's not a big star here as a lead in terms of, uh, you know, like Marlon Brando or anything like that. Uh, it's made up of sort of Sterling Stirl- Hayden, who was a, a, an actor who's very famous in the, in the in the 50s and the 60s. Um, who kind of plays the lead crook. And then you've got a band of supporting actors like Elisha Cook and J.C. Flippin and Timothy Carey uh, behind him. And so you've got quite a strong, strong cast and
2: and a good character development. Um, I think I'll, I'll I'll leave the synopsis there and throw it back to you guys for some initial reactions to the film. Uh, Yeah. My initial reaction is that it's a very fun heist movie. Um, It's interesting, you know, with these types of films, it's always just interesting to see the, The planning and the intricate plotting that goes into them and just seeing kind of the, the plot come together. Um, this one is kind of interesting in that we, we learn about the different points of the plot from each, from the point of view of each of the kind of major characters. Um, so in doing so, we kind of learn about those characters at the same time. And I think the, the movie does a good job kind of introducing us to all these different characters and, and giving us their motivations. We understand why they are part of this plot and why they're doing what they're doing. So I think that's pretty, pretty good. Um, at the same time with this movie, there's some kind of, uh, there's some narration that happens, some voiceover that happens that, um, I don't know, to my ears sounds kind of dated, but it also sounds very, feels very film noir. And we <laughs> said we, we would talk a bit about what that means, but, um, one thing it means is maybe kind of this serious voiceover. Um, it also means kind of dramatic dialogue, which I think this movie has. Um, but also the look and feel of it, you know, the black and white, the, the use of shadowy imagery and everything uh, this movie really excels at, at all that stuff. Um, so I think it's it's a good example of film noir. It's an excellent heist movie. And it keeps you um, in suspense as to what's going to happen. Because with these movies, you never know. Are things going to go off without a hitch? <laughs> or are, is everything going to go, um, you know, uh, awry? So, uh, and there, there's usually, um, you, you can usually suspect something to go wrong. Um, it's just kind of how much is going to go wrong and when. So there's always that kind of level of suspense. And so, yeah, I I think this movie does a good job of building that suspense.
0: I think it's a great movie. (laughs) Um, I'm late to it. So this movie is uh, 67 years old and I only watched it for the first time back in July, um, sort of in honor of Stanley Kubrick, uh, the director, his birthday anniversary. And and, I, and I quite liked it. Um, And I know several people who, who also like it as well. Like, um, Grant and our friend Ryan, who's been on the show, they both are are uh, uh, fans of uh, this movie. And yeah, um, the narration you mentioned, Ashley. Uh, from what I reading, I did after I first watched it in July, I don't think Kubrick was uh, in favor of it. Mm-hmm. But I think, I guess, it must have been like a studio directive or something. Um, you're right about film noir. Some film noir having narration. It's usually one of the characters, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and. And sometimes film noir is often told, um, in a sort of a, it's a, f- a flashback framework, you know, and what I'm thinking, one, one of my favorite movies, period, not just film noir is, uh, double indemnity, you know, and that, um, that opens, um, after things have already occurred and gone awry. And then Frederick Murray very conveniently dictates you know, dict- into a dictaphone about, you know, what just happened. And then we flashback and see the bulk of the movie. Um, and here, yeah, it's just, uh, some omniscient narrator um and yeah i think it works okay i don't think it was necessary but uh i think it's fine it doesn't really intrude too much on it um grant already mentioned a lot of the the great character actors that are in this movie and um i i agree i always associate sterling hayden with nine to five because <laughs> that's the first time i ever saw him in anything um i know he a huge career uh, before that and, and, and starting in movies like this. But I always think of him as uh, Mr. Tinworthy yes. uh, at the end of Nine to Five. Um, Vince Edwards is the um, kind of like the gangster guy that Grant mentioned, who um, is brought in by the, the no good uh, Dame in this movie because <laughs> film laws always have to have a Dame and, uh, and she brings him in. He, anyway, yeah, he's, he was in uh uh I always think of him as the old uh, Ben Casey TV show. Uh, yeah, people have been, a lot of these folks have been in a lot of things. Um, but yeah, the the, um, the wife of Elisha Cook Jr. is Marie Windsor, who is the the, the, the dame, the no-good dame that all <laughs> film-law movies seem to have. And yeah, she double-crosses him with the the gangster guy. And I thought I recognized her. Um and I look her up on IMDb, and what I recognize her from is um, Murder, She Wrote. Of course. She was <laughs> in her later career, uh, was a guest star on there. So, no, um, yeah, I, I'm going to throw it back to you, Grant.
1: Uh, thanks, Matt, and always good to give a shout-out to Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, look, I, 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 as you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of this film. I think, it, 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 I think importantly, it's worth remembering that it came right at the end of the sort of film noir cycle. It's one of the last films of the 50s where you could really say had a sort of real noir feel. Uh, I think the film is shot brilliantly. The black and white photography is gorgeous here. Um, The director of photography is Lucien Ballard, who uh, has an amazing career and actually was uh, one of the uh, sort of photographers of a lot of the world. The, the Wild Bunch, um, Sam Peckinpah Western, so you know, a lot of talent behind the camera and I just wanted to mention two things really which I think are why I like the film so much the first one is that the film makes you feel like you're one of the gang mm. you're, it, the viewer seems to be like one of the robbers, you know, alongside these people and and it elicits a lot of sympathy for the robbers you, you don't feel like these guys are, are bad guys uh, at all really um, and that 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 works given the way that the events in the film pan out, uh, and the the actual heist itself, the, the sequence of that is is marvelous. I think it's a, a really great example of cinema uh, and how it's choreographed and how it's edited and how it's cut and how you follow each man's role in the heist. Uh, and you've sort of seen it all planned out as well, so you, you're kind of anticipating what they're going to do, and you keep looking for something to go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of the actual height, that doesn't really happen. Um, uh, and uh, I really like that. Uh, and then, just in terms of what makes the film a bit of a film noir, I mean, you've already mentioned the, the not-so-good dame, and I think Mary is brilliant in, in this film. Uh, but it's also the... The timeline of the film is not linear. And if you recall, some of the narration that we've talked about is actually around the narrator explaining to the viewer which, which sort of timeline the next scene is on. So it says, you know, like oh, I don't know, an hour ago or um, whatever. And, uh, and that's quite common in, in film noir, that you don't have this linear timeline of events and there's sort of flashbacks and moving back and forward through sort of time and space. Um and, again, Kubrick, you know, does that, does that here. Uh, and then maybe one, one, one sort of final reflection, I mean, something I wanted to ask you guys. There's a, there's a scene in this film, which I always um, feel is... Uh, kind of speaks to a, a kind of hidden desire between J.C. Flippen and Sterling Hayden, um, because this J C Flippin plays this, this basically this bookmaker who's kind of put the whole heist together. He's an older guy and almost a father figure to Sterling Hayden. Uh, but there's a scene where he says to Sterling Hayden, "You know, don't run away with your girl after this. Run away with me, and we can go and see the world." And the way that's sort of done is a little bit it's a little bit odd for the time, I think. And um, yeah, I just wondered if you picked up on that.
0: Yes.
2: I did. Um, I don't know. I tried to just rationalize it as two good friends wanting to, like, be together. But I I don't know. Maybe
0: I should have read more into it. Did you read more into it? I did. Um, and I have to be careful sometimes um, because just with, with, with you know, who I am and my background. I mean, I think I, I have to always be careful. Like, am I reading more into something that wasn't intended that way because of who I am and what I'm bringing to it? Or was there some intention there? And I, it's very subtle partly because of the time period, you know? Um, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, a movie that we haven't discussed on the show, but we have discussed with you, Grant is, um, I think it's called the big combo. Um, and there is some, um, um, some sort of what we think are like homosexual undertones there. But that's sort of that is an example. There's tons of examples throughout, you know, early to mid 20th century cinema where the filmmakers are intending something, but they have to be so subtle about it that like, um, the you know, mainstream uh, folks won't pick up on it. And so that makes it really hard to tell. So anyway, that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, I did pick up on it, but I noticed it's very quickly. I think after that, that it kind of, he makes those fatherly comments. And so you're just supposed to be like, Oh, oh, he thinks, he thinks of him as a son. Okay. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good point to bring up. Um, there is the character and I'll be honest with you. Some of these characters run a little bit together for me or their part in the plan is so subtle that it's like, I don't know. But I think it's the actor Joe Sawyer. Um, I think I think he's, is he the bartender? Um, the one who has the invalid wife?
1: Yeah, that's the bartender.
0: Okay, I think that's Joe Sawyer, the actor. Anyway, that character, I really like him. I mean, he's a little on the older side um, and you know, he has this wife who's laid up at home in bed and she's so sweet. And there's a scene like they have together. He is really sweet to her. She's so sweet to him, and you really, you really don't. I mean, this is a case where, like you know, we're we're sort of like Grant said, we're sort of on, we're we're embedded with these with these guys playing this heist. We're kind of on their side, okay. uh, even though they're committing a crime. And um, you know, you we have a scene like that, and you're like, oh, I really hope they, <laughs> I really hope they don't <clears throat> mess this up. Yeah, that's what
2: I, you know, I was talking earlier. The movie takes time to develop these characters enough that you have sympathy for them and yeah, so there is an emotional punch when maybe things don't go um as planned.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and you know, Grant, you, you talked about the kind of um the timelines and how it, it moves back and forth not only between characters but between timelines. I that that really draws me in. I think it's a it's an interesting strategy um because it it makes everything kind of seem more complicated than it really is um so you you're really focused on trying to figure out how how everything works together because it, you know the, just the way that it's telling the story kind of forces you to be involved on a on a mental level um so yeah i think that's just really good storytelling and 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 filmmaking um, and I, I, I really like Sterling Hayden. Um, he just has kind of the perfect voice and, and, a, and a perfect face for, for film noir. Um, he really fits in. Mm-hmm. Fits in well.
0: So, Grant, I wanted to get your input on a particular scene. So, one of the guys involved in the heist is, but on the periphery, both literally and figuratively, is um, played by Timothy Carey. And he is the sharpshooter. Because, you know, this is a, a horse race. Uh, and he is supposed to um, shoot the like lead horse or the, the favorite horse, and so he parks way out, like way out, and and gets a uh, he sits in his car, and um, uh, this is an aside. I recognize this actor; he's good. As Grant said earlier, a lot of character actors in this, and where I recognized him from uh, was an episode of Columbo from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> Uh, which actually had William Shatner in it um, and a really early um, um, appearance of a VCR, which was critical to the plot. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Uh, Timothy Carey plays the sharpshooter. And so he initially has trouble getting into the car park because um, there's a attendant there um, who is like, Hey, it's closed. It can't come in. But then he believes Timothy Carey to be a war, a war veteran. um, And then, Timothy Carey also pays him some money. So he lets him in. And then he keeps coming over <laughs> and is super nice, the, the attendant, but he won't leave Timothy Carey alone. Until Timothy Carey um, says a racial slur to him. He says the N-word to him. Um because the parking attendant is black and he he walks away. Um so I was curious, Grant, what you thought about that scene and and and, and his usage of that word.
1: Uh well it's, you know, it's a word that you you only hear rarely nowadays um and I think obviously it's more common in movies of that period to be honest I think that scene's really quite powerful um because the guy who plays the attendant I don't know the the actor's name I mean it's a very small part but I think he he plays it he plays it wonderfully and you really feel how hurt he is when he turns around and sort of limps away from the from Timothy Carey, who's sitting in the car, mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it works really, really well. Um, but for, mod, for modern audiences, it's probably quite shocking.
2: Yeah, it, it's um, so shocking that when we were going to re watch this movie, I was thinking back to the first time we watched it, and this was the first that's the first scene that popped into my head, actually. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that scene is really beautifully done, and you're right, the actor who's James Edwards is that his name? The, attendant, yeah. the attendant's name. Um, he's so good and yeah, it's a real gut punch when, you know, he he's, he's being so nice to this guy. And then he uses that word and just the expression on his face and how hurt he looks. It's, it's a really effective scene and it, it kind of comes out of <laughs> nowhere. You're not expecting a scene like that in a, in a heist
0: movie like this.
2: Um, but, um, no, it was really, really well done.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, watching it in a modern day context, I, and I wish I wish I could ask some of my uncles this because, you know, they were they were younger black men in the 50s and, and are older black men now. And I would love to get their perspective on it. But I, I suspect like, you know, I'm not even sure if the Timothy Carey character is is actually racist because he doesn't nothing about him betrays that. And he doesn't use this word until he absolutely <laughs> wants to get this guy away from him. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's terrible that he uses the word regardless, but, but he uses the word and it has the desired effect. Uh, the, the attendant played by James Edwards, he, he, he you know, he slinks away. And I, I just wonder, like, that probably would be the effect, uh, uh it would have in the fifties. But I mean, you take it forward, even just a decade, but even today, like that to me, that to me would be the start of a fight. I do not think a black man in 2023 would get called that word and just link away. I think it would be it would be on. Mm-hmm. Uh and and uh so I I just found that fascinating too to sort of uh contrast just the changing nature of 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 of, of just you know uh race relations and stuff. Um so yeah, I and I, and I actually forgot about that until I guess uh, the movie art was already underway. So yeah, no, it's a lot. It's a lot going on here, Grant. Is there anything we've missed? Uh,
1: well, I, I was just going to say one thing about that scene that we just discussed um, uh, with the attendant, So I agree with your interpretation, Matt. I don't think it's it's implied that the sharpshooter or Timothy Carey's character is actually a, a bigot. It's more that he knows that that word will get that guy to leave immediately. And and I also agree with your sort of interpretation of it's interesting in in terms of how social attitudes have changed and culture has changed. And sort of in in that film, the use of that word is almost like Timothy Carey imposing the sort of social hierarchy of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore the the black guy's got to to walk away with a sort of tail between his legs. Um, Whereas now, as you say, that's more likely to result in in a fight, And so it is a very interesting scene and a powerful one and a difficult one to watch as well, I think, for all of us. Um, In terms of other things to mention, I was going to say, I think Elijah Cook Jr.'s performance in this film is really great. And you really feel for this character who's, you know, madly in love with this woman who really doesn't, is not interested in him at all and cheating on him and... um, I think the scenes between him and her, where she's sort of putting him down verbally, are uh, again quite quite powerful and hard to watch um, because he is really henpecked, <laughs> uh, and uh, you can sort of see the agony in his face, uh, and that's a great contrast to the the bartender's character, as you say, who's sort of got a good relationship with his wife, who is an invalid and sick in bed. But you can see there's a lot of love there in that in, in that relationship, which is a completely lacking or was it at least one-sided in Elisha Cook's um, one? Uh, and then I'll throw in one last point, which is the, the scene where it, it, I don't want to give people spoilers, but where it does really all go wrong, <laughs> when they're back at the apartment, when they, they all go back to meet there, and um, uh, uh, you know, Vince Edwards sort of turns up. Um, I, and I won't say what happens, but what does happen happens incredibly quickly. And the first time I watched this film, I was quite shocked by how quickly... Um, you know uh, the, the film side kind of changes gear and you lose a lot of the
2: characters. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it is very fast. Yeah.
2: That, that scene is, is, is shocking and it, and it's, um, it kind of uh, is unstabilizing because the, the aftermath that you see doesn't really follow from what, from what we see happening. So I don't know, it just feels, it, it catches me kind of wrong-footed. And I think perhaps it's
0: supposed to. It's supposed to be kind of shocking and disorienting what happens. Yeah, and a good bit of direction I like after that is uh, for the next, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute, it's uh, from the point of view of Elisha Cook Jr., um, which I think is, is effective. It, it works well. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's many different ways that you could have directed that scene um, and, and its aftermath, and I, I like the way that that Stanley Kubrick did it there. So yeah, um, great movie. Definitely recommend it. Um, Grant, what would you give it out of 10?
1: The Killing will get 8.5 out
0: of 10 for me. All right. It's so a 9 from me, Ashley. I have 8.4. 8.4. <laughs> All right. So our score then is an 8.6. Uh, that is The Killing. Um, Grant, thank you for joining us for this November special.
1: Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you,
2: everyone, for listening. Thank you.